Um, Our passage this morning is Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I, I just wanted to mention that Scott Ketra is going to preach this morning. Scott has preached for us before. Uh, it's an honor to have him do it again. But I also wanted to make a connection for those of you who don't know, and maybe Scott was going to refer to it anyway. we got three baptisms coming up this morning, and the third baptism is Alex Ketro. So, Scott preaches, and his son is baptized. I think it's going to be a great day. So, Scott, come and give us the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Community Church family. Delight to be here with you in this capacity. I mean, I'm I'm almost always here. Usually I'm much further back and dressed much more comfortably. Um, But it really is a delight to be here. I got to give you a disclaimer. I may cry this morning, no promises. But um, I just want to tell you, for those of you who might be alarmed by that, it could happen. The other thing is, don't be manipulated by that. Um, but it, it, there's a lot going on this morning, as Bob alluded to. Um, Alex is about to be baptized. That strikes a chord for me. And then anytime I preach, the, the things that I'm talking about tend to strike me, and I've tried to control it for a long time, and I just can't. So... Sometimes these things hit me and it comes out, and so if it does, again, don't be alarmed. Psalm 150, we're at the, the end. We've been going through the Psalter, and so here we are, Psalm 150, the, the end, in some sense, the apex. And when I read this psalm, it reminds me of my friend Isaac, and here's why. One of the um, threads of our family story, some of you may know that we served uh, campus ministry for a number of years in Italy. Now, that sounds way more delightful than it actually was. Um, I mean, it, 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 was, it was a tough chore. But as you might imagine, it did have some real upsides, and the food was one of those upsides. So we ate well, and uh, my friend Isaac led a campus ministry here in the U.S., and so as as a way to help us, he would bring students every spring break that were a part of the campus ministry that he led, he would bring them over to our city in Italy to help during their spring break to help us, and it was a huge help. You might think that that sounds like a boondoggle, but I mean, these guys did incredible labor for us and really, really helped A number of them came back later full-time and stayed, and so it was a great thing. But here's the thing that I I remember about Isaac. Um, Isaac found one restaurant in our town, and it was off the beaten path. Most of the tourists didn't find it. 
but it really was spectacular. And Isaac ate there every day, two meals a day. Every lunch, every dinner, he ate at the same restaurant. Every spring break that he came, he would eat at the same restaurant. And when he wasn't eating at that restaurant, he was rallying other people. You've got to try this place. This is unbelievable. You've never tasted anything like this. And so he would bring people there, and he would celebrate with them. And the reason that that reminds me, Psalm 150 reminds me of Isaac, is because the, the very same spirit of celebration that Isaac had, that's what's happening here in Psalm 150. The author of Psalm 150 is doing the same kind of feasting and celebrating and calling other people in and saying, you've got to try this. You can't believe this. That's what Psalm 150 is. If there's one single thing that I hope we come away with, it's this. Psalm 150 is saying, come on. Come enjoy the Lord. Come come feast. Come find life. And then let it overflow into praise. Hear it again. It's short. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp, the lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is someone who is deeply, deeply satisfied. This is someone who's not just writing some, some assignment. This is somebody who is fulfilled and has found deep life in the Lord and is exhorting all of us to come do the same, to come and to find life. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar. This is what he says about Psalm 150. He says, in this light, the expectation of the Old Testament as a whole is not finally obedience, but adoration. The Psalter intends to lead and nurture people to such a freedom that finds its proper life in happy communion that knows no restraint of convention or propriety. That's what the Psalms is doing. Come find life and express it without restraint without even a sense of propriety. That reminds me of David. Remember David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant? Where his wife, Michael, says, wow, you have really made a show of yourself today. And you remember what David's response was? I would paraphrase it by this. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. David was so gripped and satisfied by what Yahweh was doing. He understood that Yahweh had chosen the nation of Israel out of all the people on earth for the sake that Yahweh could extend life to all people on earth. And in that moment, David could see it. And David said, I've got to celebrate. I've got to praise. And the praising turned over into dancing. 
and apparently kind of crazy dancing. And so that's, that's what's being uh, exalted, what we're being led into in Psalm 150. One of the delights of, you talk to Bob, you talk to Dan, one of the delights of preaching is that you get to soak in this text, that you get to just live in it for a while. You get to read so many other people. And, and then one of the frustrations of preaching is that you can't express all that you've experienced that we just don't have the time or the skill to communicate all that we're, that's going on here. But if you were to read commentaries on Psalm 150, most of them agree on this thing, this one idea, and it's this. This list of instruments, no one would put together. If you were making an orchestra... This is not what you would come up with. This is a jumble and a mix. I mean, it says, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. That was glorious. But that's, that's not actually what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, blow the shofar. You know what a shofar is? It's like a ram's horn. It's not melodic. In fact, the function in Israel is to call the nation to come in assembly. And so it's this alarming sound. It's almost like saying, praise the Lord with the tornado siren. <laughs> you hear it and you are arrested and you go, oh, something's going on. We got to come. But the, the author of the psalm says, look, grab the, grab the shofar. Let's do that. But then there's, there's others. He says, praise him with the harp and the lyre. Those actually are musical instruments that were used in the temple. Those are melodic. But let's throw those in with this, this police whistle. And then he goes on. He says, not just that, but praise him with the timbrel and with dancing, kind of the castanets, the things that you would use in celebration. So it's calling. It's real music, but it's even just celebration. Bring those things too. And then even bring the things that shepherds use just out in the fields to either do their job of shepherding the, the, the animals or to entertain themselves, the flute. Bring those things as well. And then bring for, for, for volume, bring clashing cymbals. This is a cacophony coming together. And the idea, as the psalmist is writing this, is just kind of, look, bring whatever you've got. Celebrate. Bring anything you can find. Come together, and let's expound and praise the Lord for his goodness, for who he's revealed himself to be. One of the things that Adam suggested as we talked about this service was that we get all the instruments out of the kids' ministry. And we bring them in here and just put them down the aisles and then just pass them out, and then as we're... You just grab one. You want to grab a plastic trumpet or you want to grab any of that. We all could have participated. That would have been a pretty literal taking of Psalm 150. I kind of wish we would have done it. But the idea is of exuberance. Come find life and share it. 
And this, this comes into focus when we consider not just Psalm 150 for what it's saying, but its function. Because actually this is the conclusion of the Psalter. And a conclusion has a purpose. I, I'm used to thinking of the Psalms almost, what, what's the ordering principle of the Psalter? It's, it's almost the ordering principle of garage sales. Like, what, what brings garage sales together? They kind of all are doing the same thing, you know? They all have the same kind of collection of stuff. They're just a series. And how do you know when the garage sales are, how do you know when you're finished? Well, when there aren't any more. When you've gone to all of them and there's no more, that's kind of how the Psalter, we think, works. It's just this random collection of similar ideas. It's just thrown together and... How do you know when it's done? Well, when there's not Psalm 151. We're finished. That's not at all what's happening. You look at the Psalms, this is a carefully crafted piece of literature of songs and of lyrics. The first two Psalms clearly are set up as the introduction to the whole thing. And then it's divided into five distinct books. And each book has a theme. And then it has a conclusion. The last four psalms clearly are the conclusion of the whole thing. And then Psalm 150 is the explanation or the exclamation point on the top of it. So anytime you think of a conclusion, it serves a function. Think of it this way. How many of you have either read a book or been to a movie and your evaluation afterwards was something like this? I was pretty good. I didn't like the ending. And what, what that shows is that you know that the ending is supposed to do something in relation to the whole. The reason that you're saying, well, I didn't really like the ending was because it didn't do what you thought it should do. Either it should tie the whole together or it should explain something at the end or it should lift it that's what the conclusion should do. It's, it's related to the whole piece. And so how do we evaluate the conclusion of the Psalms? How do we evaluate Psalm 150? How well is it done? Well, we've got to realize, we've got to go back and think about what's the whole Psalter doing? And again, Brueggemann says, the whole point isn't obedience or just obedience. It's adoration. It's calling us. You think about the Psalms that we covered over the last six or so weeks. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. It's, it's calling Israel. The whole point of the Psalter is to say, come find your life in Yahweh. Find your refuge in Yahweh. Find your hope in Yahweh. Find your future in Yahweh. Come, put all your marbles of your life in with Yahweh. And then the end says, having done that, now remember him. Remember his acts of power, his glory, and praise him. Bring everything you've got and praise the Lord. And so that's how this conclusion works. It leads us up to the height and it says, you've seen now, we have shown you 
His glory and His power and His majesty and His mercy, His provision, His kindness, His shepherding. So come on, bring everything you've got and let's praise the Lord. Let's find our life in Him. And it comes into even more focus when we consider the context of Israel. Because Israel was, picture a stadium. Picture Memorial Stadium. And it's almost like Israel's down on the field. And then they're surrounded in the, in the stadium, in the stands, surrounded with nations that have claims about other gods that they're proclaiming all the time down to Israel. Israel's neighbors believed in what we might call regional gods and believed that there was some God that, that had some control over some aspect of their life. And if they gave proper respect and adoration to that one regional God, then their life in that area would go well. And so, for instance, one of Israel's neighbors believed that the the crops were controlled by this one regional God. And so if they would give deference, these neighbors would give deference to this God, then their crops, they would have a bountiful harvest. If they didn't, then they wouldn't have a bountiful harvest. And so they are praising this one particular regional God. And Israel's watching this. And then there's another neighbor that believes that if you give deference to this one particular regional God, then you will have a bountiful family. Your progeny will flourish. And so if you want your nation to expand and you want kids, then this one nation says, well, you better give deference to this God. And Israel is watching. And then there's another one that says, well, if you want protection from your enemies in battle, you had better praise this particular regional God. Because if you don't, other stronger powers are going to come and conquer you and carry you away. And so they're praising this regional God, and Israel is watching. And what happens over time is that Israel tends to eavesdrop And Israel says, well, yeah, Yahweh isn't bad, but their crops seem to be better than our crops. And so maybe there's something to their claim. Maybe this regional God actually does have something. And so maybe instead of just giving some deference to Yahweh, maybe we should also include some praising of this other regional God as well. And this nation, they seem to have more kids than we have. And so maybe there's something to that. And we are always in danger of some stronger power coming against us, and they seem to be pretty secure. Maybe it's because of this God that they're worshiping. And so Israel starts to mix in and mingle, sometimes with Yahweh, sometimes without Yahweh, but they start to go after some of these other gods. They start to hear these advertisements that are constantly happening. And so the Psalter is a profound exercise in spiritual leadership. It's David, it's Korah and Korah's sons, it's Moses, it's even Solomon who are saying in song to Israel, holding up Yahweh to them 
and essentially saying, don't buy these other advertisements. This is where our life is. Come find fulfillment that you are called to. This is the one who has created all things just by speaking. This is the one who has defended you, who has provided for you, who cares for you, who gives you children. This is the God who has revealed himself. Don't buy these other advertisements. Come find your life in him and let that overflow into praise. And so then this is how this ends. And C.S. Lewis is known for a number of things. The Chronicles of Narnia, for sure. Um, Mere Christianity. But there's a little book that he wrote, many of you probably know it, called uh, Reflection on the Psalms. It's fantastic. But there's one thing that he's, you've probably heard this, he's famous for, because before he became a Christian, Lewis was struggling as he read the Psalms in particular with this command to praise. And it, it just it bothered him because it seemed like God was begging constantly for us to come and praise him. You know, it's like God using DoorDash to say, hey, I need some praise. Come bring it and satisfy me. And what C.S. Lewis said, and he recognized that praise is the natural consummation of deep enjoyment. He said this, the world rings with the praises of those who enjoy something. Praise is its appointed end. You cannot enjoy without praising. And he's right. Try it. Try talking to an IU basketball fan without them praising, especially after a big win. Try talking to my friend Isaac about Le Scuderia, the restaurant. And it's going to go to praise. He cannot control it. Talk to somebody about their favorite car, their favorite book, their favorite movie, their favorite anything. The consummation of enjoyment ends in praise. It's the way it is. And so this is an invitation to Israel. Praise, but in praising, find the life that is offered to you. So what, what do we do about that? This is all fine and good about Israel. But how do we glean from them? How do we learn and how do we apply this? Because, again, the call, the spiritual leadership that is being given through the Psalter to us is come find your life in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has revealed himself in glory and grace don't just stand off at a distance. Come and feast and be satisfied. So what do we do? I mean, we, it, it might be as straightforward and direct as singing praise music. It might be finding uh, music that you like and playing it. Starting the day by singing. That could be very appropriate and helpful. I want to suggest something a little more uncomfortable. And that would be this. Use your praise and your praising as a diagnosis of what you actually find delight in. Because if Lewis is right, 
that praise naturally overflows from delight, take a look at what you spend your time praising. Even if not out loud, what is it that you exalt in? Because chances are that's where you're finding your life. Or you're hoping for some kind of life there. We're we're not like Israel where we have these regional gods being pushed on us. That's not true. But our culture, our culture actually, the voices of our culture believes that God is so distant and so impotent that there is no real God that has control over anything. So what that does is it elevates the means that God uses. And so what we can do is find our delight in, in means, in the ways that God brings about life. And so, here's a couple just suggestions. Of course, God uses the means of finances, of a job, even of a career. Of course, God uses that means to provide for us. But if you find yourself finding your identity in what your career and what your job is, if you find yourself finding your identity in what your title is, if you find yourself and your sense of life and joy going up and down with what the stock market is doing, then probably you are praising, you are finding your life and your fulfillment in some sense in the means. And what the Psalter is saying is, don't buy that. Come find your life, not in the means of what God is doing, but in God himself, and trust him in that. Of course, God uses, in our democracy, God uses the means of political leaders and even of political parties. That's part of the means of what God uses. But if you find yourself, even in your own spirit, praising political leaders, praising certain parties and and rallying other people to this, there is a chance that you are inappropriately finding life in the wrong place. Of course, part of the means of what God uses in life is friends of reputation But if you find your sense of joy and fulfillment and up and down tied to how many likes you get and how many followers you have, you need to listen to the Psalter that says, come and delight and praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, of course God uses means. I'm not suggesting that farmers stop tilling, planting, harvesting, But what the Psalter is saying is don't buy the lie that the means are an end that's going to satisfy you in themselves. The lesson is come and praise. Come rejoice. Come find your life. Let your own life ring with praise out of being satisfied. And then the other application would be this. Do what you're already doing, which is use community as a part of this. Because as Israel testifies, as 
any of us can testify this is really hard to do, to with clarity see God as the sustainer and the fulfiller of life, to see that all the time with perfect clarity in a Psalm 150 sense by yourself. It's hard to do. There are times on a Sunday morning that I come in here and I see the reality of Psalm 150 more clearly than I see anything else. And then there are other Sundays I come in here and the reality of Psalm 150 is about as cloudy as it can be. I still believe these things to be true, but they feel so distant. They feel hard to hold to, hard to believe. And because that's reality for us, let's join with each other. In about a week, my second favorite sporting event of the year is going to begin. And that is the Tour de France. So me and the three others of you who enjoy that. um, Let me explain why. You know, you you know enough. The Tour de France is a three-week bike race, arguably the most grueling event in the world. Three weeks of riding, at least 100 miles a day, going on average about 30 miles an hour on a bike. And oh, by the way, half of it is in some of the most rugged mountains in the world. And here's the secret of professional cycling and of the Tour de France. It's presented as an individual sport, but it's not. It's a team sport. And here's how it works. There's this concept in cycling called drafting. And what happens is is you ride your bikes in a line. And the person at the front is taking all of the resistance of the wind And it creates this kind of cone effect behind that rider. And everybody else ducks in behind them. And they're able to go the same speed and use about 40% of the effort that the guy up front is using. And here's what what happens. The person up front goes as long as he or she can. And then they're going to run out of gas. And they don't quit. They can't quit. But what they do is they peel off and they go to the back. And then the next person is up. And they give it everything they've got as long as they've got it. And then when they can't anymore, they go to the back. And this is how the team works. And I think drafting is what I experience with you in this community. There are times I come in here... And I don't have it. I don't have this. And what I do, honestly, is draft. There are some times when I, 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 I sing and I do worship, but I do it at a whisper. Because what I need is I need to listen. I need to hear the rest of you singing what we're singing. Because what it does for me is to go, oh yeah, I'm not the only one. They all know this to be true. They all see this clearly and it's right. There are other times where I see it so clear I'm singing as loudly as possible. 
There's some of you who raise your hands in praise, and I look to you, and there's something about watching you do it that is drafting, that I say, yeah, that's right. They are caught up, and what they see, I believe it. There are others of you that, are, that you're somber, and, and that somberness is something that I draft off of because it reminds me, this is the majestic Lord of glory. And so do that with each other. Don't assume that you have to be an individual and somehow you have to muster up the strength to be Psalm 150 all the time. It's just not true. You can't do it. And when you can't, duck in behind somebody. Keep going. And there's going to be a time where you're going to see it again as clearly as day and you're going to be leading out front. And so, what do we do? We praise. Because a lot rides on this. The last thought I want to give you is this. This matters. For Israel, it mattered. It wasn't just that Yahweh deserved their praise. Absolutely true. But it mattered because the redemptive plan for all the earth by God was through the people of Israel. And if they lost track of the glory of God in their life in Him, then they're going to lose track of their own calling. And I would argue that the same is true for us. We have to find our life in Yahweh for Jesus' sake, for His name. He deserves it but also because our neighbors need to see and to know what it looks like for a people who have found life in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this is not just some exercise that we're habitually going through. This matters. Our finding life leads to life for those around us. And so, grab everything you've got, Come and bring it in praise. And let everything that has breath. So if you have breath that you are borrowing from the triune God, bring it. Praise the Lord. Let everything, celestial beings, praise the Lord. Every person, praise the Lord. My dog who is sitting out next to me in the back who has breath, let him praise the Lord. But please, may we as Christ Community Church be found overflowing with the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may we praise the Lord. Amen. Father, You were gracious to us in that we were people who were far off and blind. And by your grace, you have given us your own life by your Spirit. To be able to see Jesus as the exalted reigning one, the King of kings. You have offered your life to us. You have imparted your life in us. And so please, would you empower us to praise you. May we who have your breath 
Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.